Hello everyone, my name is Barbara. I'm the owner of Fanish Spanish Burritos and your host for today. And today I have a great guest with me today. Her name is Annie from Accessible College. And she talks about many different things in regards to helping special needs students transition from K through 12 to higher education college community. And we want to address several different things and as uh, and as a teacher that I worked in an inclusion classroom, it's just so important to understand the special needs and the learning disabilities of our students. And one of the things we want to address is how we can help them transition into different learning environments. So I hope you enjoy this interview today. Today I have a, a great guest with me today. Her name is Annie from Accessible College. Hi, Annie. How are you today? I'm great. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Awesome. Annie, tell us a little bit about your mission uh, with Accessible College. How did that educational experience with Georgetown uh, help you inspire Accessible College? Thanks for asking. Um, so my mission at Accessible College is to provide students with physical disabilities and health conditions um, and their families with the services and supports to ensure a successful transition to and through higher education. Mm -hmm. um, and I should just add a little bit of a clarifying information. So sure. um, when I say physical accessibilities uh -huh. uh, or physical disability, I'm talking about students who have um, mobility impairments. So uh -huh. students who use wheelchairs or other types of mobility devices. Um, and when I'm talking about health conditions, I'm talking about a wide variety of things. So that could right. be students who have migraine disorders, Crohn's mm -hmm. disease, mm -hmm. chronic fatigue, Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, um, cancer, diabetes, yeah. um, mm -hmm. and much more. Um, and the, the reason I provide this support is because colleges and universities provide varying mm -hmm. levels of supports for students with disabilities and health conditions. Mm -hmm. um, and the services that Accessible College provides helps to bridge those gaps by empowering students and families to effectively work together to create some positive educational outcomes and experiences. So I focus on supporting students mm -hmm. with physical disabilities, with chronic health conditions, mm -hmm. and also with mental health conditions, because a lot yeah. of times students have co-occurring um, mental health conditions as well, because it's challenging to have a physical disability or a chronic health condition. Um, and you Absolutely. mentioned my work Go ahead. Did you say something? No, Sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, your work with Georgetown, how did that um, come about? Because I, I believe your work was so inspiring. I, I think everything that you do with Accessible College as, as a teacher myself and as a parent, of course, um, special needs is such an important part of education. I, I don't think we see it as, um, yes, it's another student in the classroom, but at the same time, accommodations are just so important. And I think sometimes we're not aware because we think that, uh, or the, their physical disability is there, of course, maybe someone that needs a wheelchair, but like you mentioned, there's also health disabilities or there's health help that students need, especially now in this past couple of years. And that is just so, so important in the classroom. Go ahead. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, so part of, Part of the reason I started Accessible College was because 
there really aren't a lot of services and supports for students as they transition out of high school and into college, specifically mm-hmm. students with health conditions and physical disabilities. And so that's part of the reason I started this. And at Georgetown, when I was at Georgetown University, I was the associate director of the disability support office there for about six years. Um, I worked with undergraduate, graduate, and medical school students with physical disabilities and health conditions. Um, So I was the person who was connecting with the students, reviewing their documentation to determine what types of accommodations would be reasonable in the college setting. Um, And the the reason that's important um, is, and kind of what led me to my work at Accessible College was that many of the students I worked with at Georgetown had not been made aware that they would be mm-hmm. responsible for following the university process to request accommodations. So families should know that every college has a process for students to request accommodations. And you'll note that I said students to request accommodation, not parents. Um, right. And that can be really tricky for students who maybe have not had to navigate um, the accommodations request process in high school. Maybe mom and dad played a bigger role. Right. Um, And so for a lot of students, they were really underprepared for um, that process. And they hadn't really thought about how, what they would need in the college context and how being away from home might impact them. And so, yeah, that's that's what I help families think through. Yeah. That's, that's a wonderful point because, and as a teacher working in inclusion classrooms, many times, you know, there's so many IEPs, 504 accommodations that you have to be aware and a lot of the times, I think one of the good things that high school towards, but that happens towards the end of high school where the parents are less involved and the special education teachers are actually asking students to advocate for themselves. So to, for them to actually be aware of their learning disabilities in one way or another and to actually you know, encourage them to, to speak up. Is this accommodation? Okay. Is this not okay? You know, how to work it out, but yeah, there's just not too much um, information. Like you say, when you're going from high school towards college, and I think that varies a lot. And I I think that's a a great point to, to bring up is so a lot of students in college already. And then there's some (laughs) senior students that are still not aware, what can they do? What I mean, they might be aware, yes, I have an accommodation or I have a learning disability, but how can I transfer that? Sometimes they might think that it transfers. Sometimes they might say, oh, I'm okay, my IP transfer or my accommodation transfers, right? Or you might have that international student that transferred to a new university and might not know how to do that. So mm-hmm. what do you think could be something that to encourage parents or to encourage students? Um, how can they approach that? So you highlighted a, a common misconception, which mm-hmm. is that the IEP or the 504 will directly um, move over to the college right. setting. And right. um, that's, that's not true. So it's important for families to know that IEPs, so if your student has a learning disability or a physical disability or a health condition and has an IEP, or if they have ADD or autism, um, and mm-hmm. they might have a 504 plan or an IEP, those are only valid in high school. Right. Uh, once the student transitions to college, the accommodations process is governed under a different law, the Americans with mm-hmm. Disabilities Act. And the Mm -hmm. Americans with Disabilities Act provides for 
reasonable accommodations. Um, mm. And that's in quotes, reasonable accommodations. So it's, right. it's the right. university who gets to decide through an evaluative process and looking at documentation, talking to the student, uh, what accommodations are going to be reasonable in that context. So students should know that they might not ex receive exactly the same accommodations that they had in high school. Um, so that's really, really important. Um, so, and you mentioned, you mentioned students who are international students and might be coming to a school in the U.S. And I'd also like to broaden that to include students who maybe have a, an emergent disability. So they go to college and they are diagnosed with something or um, they decide to seek out accommodations in college. Essentially, um, all colleges have documentation guidelines um, on, that are mostly available on the Disability Support Office website. So they lay out what the process is for requesting accommodations at that college or university. And this applies to community colleges, four-year universities, vocational training schools. So it's, it's broad, okay. um, but that will inform the students on what type of documentation they need and then what the process is to go about requesting these things. The earlier, once the student commits to the school, that's when they should be starting this process. Um, and it's really important for families to understand that colleges offer varying levels of support and accommodations. Mm -hmm. So um, if your student has you know, specific needs, you might wanna right. be considering that upfront in your college search process. And I think sometimes that gets left by the side um, and, and families kind of flip it. They wait till they get in and then they start asking uh -huh. the questions or they wait till they've committed and they just expect that things will fall into place. Um, and that's not always the case. So you might want to start thinking about doing your research up front and looking at the services and supports and accommodations that that college that you're interested in does provide so that you're not caught off guard. That, that's a great point, because even when you're starting to apply for, say, scholarships or grants or um, any other type of financial aid, for instance, you need that time. I mean, you can't wait until, for instance, the, the summer or the last month before school starts. You actually start planning, uh, you know, ideally maybe two years in your junior year or even your sophomore. So in considering accessibility as well and considering that you have to have a plan and the timing, you know, I think probably maybe even in junior high or middle school, you should start being thinking, okay, what kind of colleges, like you mentioned, because it varies from college to college, correct? How these accommodations, because it all, all left to the universities and colleges to say, well, we're going to accommodate for this, but we might not for this certain type, right? So I think because you're going to get disappointed if you are, you know, you really want that career and you really want to go to that college, but if you really need that extra support and they don't offer it, that could be disappointing. Yeah, so a couple things just to note, um, you know, all colleges that receive federal funding have to mm -hmm. provide accommodations. So that's that's pretty much every college or university in the United States. Um, mm -hmm. But what that looks like or how they provide those accommodations or the types of accommodations they provide or the care in which they provide it, that's what really varies from place to place. Mm, um, okay. It's important for families to also know that there are some schools that have specialized programs, 
Um, <laughs> usually for students with learning disabilities or autism. Um, and those are typically fee-based programs on top of, you know, whatever the family might be paying for typical tuition. So, you know, if you know that your student is going to need more support or academic mm -hmm. coaching or more check-ins or things like that, you might want to, you know, look into what programs are available at different colleges and universities. Right. Yeah, I think that's that's a great point to to bring out as well, because sometimes you have an idea in your head and by the time sometimes you go and visit or you know like we have open houses in schools of course and you go and visit the college and you have this idea and and if you don't have the support and you have the plan like you mentioned it, it can be daunting to do that like last minute before you start school because college is different than high school that's that's you know, one of the, the biggest thing that I think students going to be okay. And if you don't have a plan, like you mentioned, and it, it can be a little daunting, it can be very difficult. So what are some of those services that you can help students plan out? Um, say if they're thinking now, maybe now I should consider doing some planning. Yeah. So, um, just tracking back for a second to something that you uh, mentioned about starting your planning process early, even in middle school. And this is an area where I um, support a lot of families in starting to identify what are those independent living skills um, that a student can start to work on when they're in middle school or early in high school so that they can start to develop some of those, so, some of those pieces. Um, and some of that is around, um, you know, medication management. You know, does mm -hmm. the student know how to refill their prescription? Do they know what medications they're on? Yeah. Are they able to contact their doctor? Um, mm -hmm. So that's kind of one piece of this puzzle. And I do provide a lot of coaching for students and families on that. And we create a, you know, a process based on what the student's need is and, and figure out how we can work towards greater independence for the student and maybe, also having the parent give the student a little bit of a longer leash, <laughs> which is sometimes the, yeah. the trickier piece. Um, and then the other pieces of like, you know, how will your student do their laundry? Uh, do they know how to do that now? Can they make a simple meal for themselves? Um, do they need personal care support? Are there other pieces that we need to consider here? Um, you know, a lot of students who have chronic health conditions or who have more significant mm -hmm. health needs also need to factor in whether or not they need to be close to a medical center when they go away to college or what their medical care is going to look like when they're there. So starting to identify what are those things that we know the student is going to need and then, and then working on figuring out how do we chip away at this little by little because right. um, for a lot of families, I think especially families that have students with disabilities, they're just mm -hmm. trying to get through each day, right? You know, it's oh, like yeah. you're not yeah. planning too far ahead. You're just trying to get no. through the day. And I always joke that like it feels like very overwhelming for a lot of families. And there's a mm -hmm. saying that I use, which is like, how do you eat an elephant? And it's one <laughs> bite at a time, right? Yeah. <laughs> so true. So that's what we do. We kind of identify what are the small steps we can start taking? What are, where are the inroads? How can we start chipping away at this? Yeah. And of course, you know, as a teacher, you want the success of your students. So regardless of, you know, what, 
the type of learning you have in the classroom, you know, it's important to know that, okay, this student needs to succeed in certain ways. Not every student learns the same way, but I think it's different in high school as a high school teacher or as an elementary teacher or even a preschool teacher to know that you know that that student has a disability, but when you go into college, that professor only knows you just those few seconds. Even if you, even if the professor knows you at all. So sometimes the professor may not know that there is a learning disability. So sometimes, you know, I can see your coaching, you know, how to help the student that, you know, that there is an accommodation that it's needed, but at the same time, you know, how can this be viewed as something that the student needs as a support, not more as a crutch? Sometimes that's seen, sometimes at the universities. Um, what do you think? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, accommodations are meant to level the playing field. They're not meant to give preferential treatment. Um, mm-hmm. And you're right in saying that at the university level, you know, students may not have as many touch points with their professors. But when a student requests accommodation at a college or a university, um, the disability support office approves those accommodations and then uh, either sends an email to the professor outlining what the accommodations are um, Uh or gives the student a letter to bring to the professor. Now, that letter or Uh that email does not state what the disability is. So it doesn't, it does not say, you know, Bobby Mm. has a learning disability or Mm. Bobby has diabetes. It just says what Bobby's accommodations are. So it would just say like time and a half or extensions for assignments Mm -hmm. or a Mm -hmm. note taker. It just discloses what the accommodation is. And it's up to the student to think Uh about what are they comfortable disclosing to their professors. They don't have to share anything because they've already gone through the disability support office um, and been approved for the accommodations, but sometimes students find it valuable to think Uh about uh, how they want to disclose. Having a script ready can be really helpful for students, and that might be, you know, a script for talking to their professors. It could also be a script for talking to their new roommate or to new friends that they have to explain, you know, what their needs are or um, the fact that they, you know, might need more quiet or the fact that Mm -hmm. they might you know if they start acting a certain way you know this is what's probably going on with them so I work with a lot of students to create those scripts to Mm -hmm. um, have kind of mock uh, you know interactions with professors so that students are really Mm -hmm. prepared to have those conversations because you know in the K through 12 setting they may have been with people who knew them their whole life so um, college is a totally different uh, place for a lot of students who have not had to self-advocate previously. Right. Yeah. And you mentioned a lot of that is uh, a medical condition, which could, you know, you, you really can't put a lot of things on a letter or on a, I don't know, a card, if you will. Right. Cause that's a lot of medical information that um, that's private for the student as well. Right. Yep. Yeah. Right. The, the only people who have access to that information are the people in the disability support office. And once they have, um, once they've, you know, shared that information with the disability support office, it's, it's private and confidential. And so the student gets to determine 
who they share what information with after that point. The only thing that's shared with professors are the specific accommodations that the student has been approved for. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it also brings, you know, if, if you're in the, uh, the the K through 12 setting, you know, you're just used to your students and you are aware of, um, of the disability. And like you mentioned there, once you start college, everything changes, I think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's completely different. So yeah, getting started early is one of the best things to do. And that brings me to another point. Um, education has been, uh, and you probably know this, that for the past couple of years, it has been a roller coaster. I never imagined myself as a teacher with so many changes in education. But one of the things that affected most has been bilingual learners. And I think bilingual learners have such a difficult time because they're used to having their teacher, but when they go into virtual learning and they were not expecting to be virtual learning, it has brought so many problems. And one of them has been social emotional problems. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, the health that the health issues that has occurred has been so dramatic. It has affected them in so, so many ways, not just the students, but it's just all over education, the staff, the teachers, everyone involved. So, and I know you've been in this area for, for a long time and you talk about health issues and how to help. What do you think could be some support that, that students and teachers can have at this point? Um, I think it's really important for students to find community. Um, and there are lots of resources out there that are probably not as well publicized as they should be. Um, yeah for students to connect with other students or to connect with support so that they can get assistance in navigating some of these pieces. Because I always say, you don't know what you don't know. Um, And sometimes it's really helpful to have other people who have experienced the same things or similar things who can assist you in figuring all of this stuff out. So there's a couple national groups. Um, There's one that's called DREAM which is Disability Uh Education, Action, and Mentoring. And it's a part of the National Center for College Students with Disabilities. Um, They have a peer mentoring network and support for students who are in college. Um, Uh And there's another group which just changed their name um, from Health Advocacy Summit to Generation Patient. Um, And that is a group of college students. It was started by a group of college students who recognize that students with chronic health conditions um, and Mm -hmm. rare conditions have a unique set of needs. Um, And so they have a peer mentoring and advocacy group. Um, And there's tons of stuff available for students with mental health issues as well, Mm -hmm. because I know it's been a really tricky time for, well, quite frankly, all of us. (laughs) And there's a greater national conversation around mental health, but Um, NAMI is a great organization that has lots of, um, groups across the country, um, that support young adults too. So, um, I think, you know, students should seek out support, um, either at their college, at their high school, online, um, and, and connect with people to have conversations because, um, that can be extremely helpful. Absolutely. That connection, whether it's virtual and or somewhere in there with your neighborhood or anywhere in your community, I think it just helps so, so much. 
Um, uh, thank you for those resources. I think, and there, like you said, there's a lack of information out there. And mm -hmm. I'm going to include all of that that you mentioned. Thank you so much for, for broadening that aspect. Because, the, again, a lot of people are still in the dark in regards to how do, how do I go about, you know, how do I go into uh, all this social emotional learning? And that's what I think that our teachers are doing actually is taking the time to address, okay, so what is really going on in my classroom? How can I address this? And it has been difficult. Mm -hmm. To say mildly, <laughs> to say mildly, that's for sure. Um, another project that I think you're involved with is the partnership with the Christopher and Dana Reed Foundation. I love that project. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, and it's it's a super exciting project. So um, back in 2020, which feels like ages ago now, <laughs> um, I wrote a guide for the Reeve Foundation. Um, and just so you know, just so people know who are listening, yeah. um, Christopher Reeve was a famous actor. He was Superman yes. mm -hmm. and he had a spinal cord injury. And so the Reeve mm -hmm. Foundation supports people with paralysis. Um, the guide mm -hmm. that I wrote is called Navigating and Transitioning College with Paralysis. Um, mm -hmm. So after I completed writing that guide, the Reeve Foundation mm -hmm. offered... Um, to bring me on as support for students with paralysis. Um, so any student with any type of paralysis, so it could be a spinal cord injury, uh -huh. uh, spina bifida, um, any a stroke, cerebral palsy, mm. it's, it's very broad um, in terms of its scope. So paralysis is a broad term. Um, any mm -hmm. student who's interested in talking about college preparation and transition can work with me for free. Uh, for mm -hmm. up to three hours through the Reeve Foundation. So the project is currently in its second year. Um, yeah. And it's been really amazing because I, I, in my private practice, I work with students nationally, but this has just helped expand reach um, to students who, um, you know, maybe would not have been able to, to afford to work with me otherwise. Um, and it's just been a really great project too because it's not just for students who are in high school but also adults who are considering adults with paralysis who are considering uh -huh. going back to school or right. thinking about a career change too um, and so there's still spaces available um, for this year and um, I'll send you the link so that you can yeah. make sure that the listeners can find that as well. Yeah, and it, I, I love those kind of projects because it just brings another level of awareness of, again, not just only a, a learning disability, but more accessibility, just like you have in, in the name of your, your program, Accessible College, mm -hmm. is that it has to be and it can be for everyone. Uh, we're not limited, just like in education, you know, in an inclusion classroom, you know, education is for everyone. We want everyone to be successful. I think I love that project. So I'm so glad that, that you mentioned that. Um, can you tell us a little bit more, um, how can listeners learn more about your company? Where can they reach you at? Yeah. So you can find me on my website, which is accessiblecollege.com. Um, uh -huh. I'm also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, um, and people can email me as well. And it's a simple email. It's just info at accessiblecollege.com. Um, I also have a new Facebook group that I recently started 
with um, a couple other college consultants. Um, and it's really focused on physical disabilities, chronic health, and mental health. And the Facebook group is called College Success, Physical Disabilities, Chronic Health, and Mental Health. Um, and so if people are interested, they can join us in that group as well. It's open to students, families, uh, educators, um, and other healthcare and support professionals as well. Um, and people ask fantastic questions in that group. It's a really great resource. So I'm, I'm excited about that new group too. Okay, awesome. Thank you so much. Annie, it was such lovely time here to interview you and, and learn more about Accessible College. I mean, it's such a wonderful organization and program that you have there. Um, I, I just hope that there's more organizations like that out there as a teacher and a parent, of course, having these organizations and having people dedicated to this is just a wonderful, wonderful idea. Thank you so much for, for joining me today, Annie. Yeah, thank you. I really appreciated this time to talk to your listeners. I hope you enjoyed today's interview with Annie from Accessible College. I learned so much as how to help our special education students, whether they're bilingual learners or not, and help them transition into higher education. It is just so important to, to help them transition, not only, of course, when we're talking about from elementary to secondary to higher education, but any aspect in to help them to move smoothly into one learning environment to another, I think is just a very helpful idea. So I hope you enjoyed this uh, interview today. I hope you join another another episode for a fun bilingual learning, whether it is a fun story that I can read in English and Spanish or a amazing guest like we had today. Thank you so much for listening to the Spanish for Kiddos podcast and I hope everyone has a wonderful day.